Jordan. Ian. Who went to take a sip from the Fountain of Youth, accidentally cough swallowed, and now has a case of baby lung. Sting? No. Two guys. What? Hello, and welcome to episode 18 of Two Guys What's Up, the weekly, fantastical, amazingly hilarious comedy podcast where two old friends get together and chat about bollocks. Yeah, quite literally, testes. Testi! <laughs> if you're testing somebody, yes. are they the testee? I guess they are, yeah. What would that make me then? Uh, the dick. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. <laughs> My name is Ian. I am obviously joined by Jordan. How are you, Jordan? I'm worse than last week. You are worse. <laughs> yeah. You sound way better. Yeah, we really need to stop getting together and kissing. Oh, is that the problem? I think that's probably what it is, yeah. I was hoping you wasn't going to say that. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I hope he doesn't stop the snogging. <laughs> yeah, you sound way better, and I think I'm probably going to sound worse. I am feeling better. We have just switched, I think, over the last few days, because it's only been, what, like three days since we last recorded? Three or four days? Probably, but a week in podcast time. And yeah, but I think we've, we've just swapped. What, spit? Yeah, <laughs> swapped saliva. <laughs> I'm immune to that strain now, so I'm feeling on top of the world. I'm still a bit snotty, actually, to be fair, oh. but uh, I am plodding along nicely. I'm uh, about 98% health again, I think. That's good. You're nearly there. Just need to keep myself plugged into the main system. Oh, God, I hope there's no power cut. <laughs> I mean, if there is for me, that's me dead. I'm done. Don't you actually suffer with power cuts? What, my body? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean... Um, my estate. Yeah, that's the one. We've had a couple, and so anyone that doesn't know, I live in a new build estate. I've lived in the house for a couple of years now, and so everything is very new, and for whatever reason, we have had the occasional power cuts just in this villagey area, so don't know why, but thankfully, I'm not hooked up to it. Maybe I should be. Maybe that's why I'm half dead. I'm glad you're not. Otherwise, yeah, you would be dead and I'd be down one co-host. <laughs> <laughs> that's all that would matter. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Jordan's dead. It's like, oh, no, what about the podcast? No, what about your friend? <laughs> nah. <laughs> Oh, I need to put out feelers for someone else. God. Yeah, I've already got about eight people lined up, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, there is no one lined up. Please don't leave me. I'll try my best to not cark it. Thank you. Very kind. It's only for you. So, anyway, on to the meat of it, Mr. Jordan. What are you going to be regaling us with today? So, I have got a compilation of some of the creepiest last words spoken before death. Ooh, super spooky. Yeah, they are super weird. Let me take a guess. Um, Bill, come closer. I forgot to clear my browser history. <laughs> At least it's not. Oh, I see the light. Oh, f it's a trip. <laughs> <laughs> Unintentional last words. <laughs> yeah. But what have you got coming up for us today? So today I am going to be going into premonitions, whether that be from a dream or getting a flash into the future or just having a bad unexplained feeling. Premonitions are super creepy and very interesting. So I'm going to be telling you some stories, some more well-known ones, some not very known ones and one super creepy one that I absolutely am fascinated by. Oh, okay. You know, I thought you were going to say that. <laughs> you might say I had a premonition. It's like, oh, I don't want to do the podcast tomorrow. It's going to be shit. I've just heard what Ian's going to tell me about. <laughs> yeah. oh, I've just had a vision of Ian's content. It's bollocks. Oh, it's all right. He's got eight other people in my place. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, jumping into it. 
premonition is actually generally defined as a strong feeling that something unpleasant is about to happen. And I bring that up because that's obvious, and I think everyone probably knows that, but I sort of always had this impression that it was through means of like a more paranormal aspect. Yeah, so have I. But like the definition of it is literally just a bad feeling. Oh, right. So it's not anything specific. No, it's not defined as like a dream where you prophetically tell the future or you have visions of future events. It's literally just a bad feeling. Oh, really? Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) That's a letdown. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, even though what generally comes out of it is strange and, you know, outside of the usual, the definition for it is generally quite mundane. So you could argue that premonitions are only as so when there's a bad feeling and there's a reason for that bad feeling after the fact. I guess so, yeah. Okay, right. I think I remember, you know, hearing that your gut is actually linked somehow to your brain. So like when people say like, I got a gut feeling. Yeah. And like the way I'm saying this, it sounds really stupid and unresearched. Like I wasn't going to tell you about this at all, but... Fucking scientist. <laughs> I'm not a scientist, Jordan. Oh, I gathered. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just a drummer. But yeah, people are actually saying that you should actually listen to your gut because it's it's something to do with actually like having a feeling about the future. So premonitions are maybe more something that people should be heeding the, the warning of. Oh, okay. So when I hear the screaming in my head, that's from my gut. No, that's from your wife telling you to get off the sofa and do some work. <laughs> <laughs> I slept on the sofa last night just so I didn't keep her awake with all my coughing because that's what a lovely husband I am. That is so kind of you. See, in the past, right, whenever I've had to sleep on the sofa, like say my wife is trying to sleep and I'm in the same situation you are now, I always just feel worse because then I know she's going to have to come down and attempt to be quiet so she doesn't wake me up. So it's like worst of both worlds. Yeah. You don't get a good sleep and your wife has to then skittle around in the morning like a creepy house spider trying not to wake you up while she chomps a cereal. (laughs) Well, your wife is an arachnid. That's why I'm so scared of her. <laughs> she terrifies me. Yeah. <laughs> She's one scary woman. She does walk very fast, so... Anyway, so to kick off my premonition journey, I'm going to tell you a couple more of the famous ones. So I'll wet your whistle with these, see if you've heard of these, Jordan. All right. The first one, on the morning of January 28th, 1986, Bob Ebling, who was an engineer at Thiokol and worked for the team of engineers that worked on the Challenger space rocket, was driving to the launch. Right. As he was ambling along the road to Birmingham City, Utah, he leaned over to his daughter, who was along for the ride, and said, the Challenger is going to blow up. Everyone's going to die. Oh, God. The way you've just said that yep. reminds me of the Resident Evil films. Have you seen the Resident Evil films? I think I watched one and a half and then gave up. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. I think they do get progressively worse. The first one, there's something called the Red Queen that's a hologram. It's like an AI computer. Yeah. And these people are trapped in this underground lab and this Red Queen hologram turns to them and says, you're all going to die down here. It's like a little girl. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I remember that one. And it just reminded me of that. Yeah, it's just sort of deadpan-like. Yeah, exactly. And that's That's just what you reminded me of. Brilliant. Thank you, my red queen. welcome. (laughs) Well, uh, yeah, I have no idea how he said it. Uh, I am guessing it was deadpan by the way it was written, but you know, he could have been screaming at the top of his lungs for all I know. It's less dramatic actually that way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But you could put this down to his science brain doing its job because he knew that the recent cold snap that had come over Florida meant that the O-rings were subject to temperatures 30 degrees lower than they had experienced during any previous launch. And he knew that they were not designed to work under these temperatures. As much as Bob and his team repeatedly argued to stop the launch, it was was overturned by NASA and the managers and on that morning it went ahead and as we all know disaster struck and the Challenger did unfortunately explode due to a faulty o-ring killing everyone on board as foretold by Bob. 
Ouch. Horrible. But I have two questions about that. One, why did NASA hire him and his team to take what advice I presumed they hired him for his knowledge of and then just disregard it? And two, if the O-ring failed because it was 30 degrees colder that day, what would have happened when it inevitably reached space? Because, I mean, I'm no scientist, as I said, but I'm sure space is colder than that. Maybe it's the ignition, the takeoff, possibly, that requires that temperature I don't know. I think what it was was uh, the temperature had caused the O-rings to, you know, like when you when you freeze something and it um normally expand, don't they? They do. <laughs> anyway. Perfect. <laughs> As I said, I'm not a scientist. I've told you this. <laughs> so there are my two questions. But I have no idea why they didn't just listen to him and just go, okay, we'll wait for a warmer day. Because, I mean, was space going to be gone for a couple of days after that? And they had to desperately get there now? Yeah, it was going on holiday. Oh, was it? <laughs> Where? <laughs> <laughs> Another galaxy. <laughs> that is still in space. Well, you never know that bit they were after. Just f- off for the week. They could have been going to Bigfoot Dimension. That is true. To get one of their famous flopper burgers. But yeah, genuinely though, NASA are in charge of people's lives, of course. You would think that that precaution was a fairly necessary... Would outweigh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. You would have thought they'd just gone, okay, well, temperature's looking nice tomorrow, we'll go then. Yeah. But no, they overturned it and they sent it and it killed a fair amount of people, unfortunately. And not even, not that it would make it any better, but not just astronauts, but like, I think there was a teacher on board and there was some other people who were just going up right okay very sad indeed another one so jordan have you ever heard of abraham lincoln yes oh very good very good so uh, i won't have to explain that then <laughs> he was a professor wasn't he in india professor of sandwiches in india yeah uh, that's the yes. one specializes in baguettes <laughs> <laughs> Footlogs. My kind of guy. <laughs> so, on to the second one. One of Lincoln's friends, Ward Hill Lamont, recalls the incident and said, In 1865, President Lincoln had a dream where he woke up in his bed upon hearing the subdued sobs of mourners from a group of people. The then president got out of bed and wandered towards the noise and saw a group of people surrounding a body laying in a bed in the East Hall of the White House. Oh. Here at the door to the room, he met a guard and asked him who was dead in the White House. The guard replied, The president. He was killed by an assassin. At that point, Lincoln woke up from his dream and went about his day. And on April 11th, just three days before some knobber called John Wilkes Booth assassinated the poor guy for real life, Lincoln told Lamont, the guy who is regaling this story to us, that he had had the dream and that it had strangely annoyed him for whatever reason. But then, as I said, just three days later, it did seem to come to fruition and the poor president was indeed shot dead by an assassin. Mm. So did the president predict his own death? See, that for me feels like an actual premonition doesn't it that is what i would consider a premonition not just a gut feeling like he sensed that death was about to happen yeah but i i would probably just say that's more coincidence because it doesn't say that he saw himself in the bed it doesn't say that he saw how he died or where he died so like there was no specific bullet points that you know could be parallel between the two he just said he saw a dead guy in in the white house true but having said that he could have just dreamt about bunny rabbits well he could have just dreamt about anything that's what I mean. It's just, it's just a coincidence, in my opinion. But, um, oh wait, I'm the one who's supposed to be convincing you, aren't I? <laughs> yep, absolutely, dead true. F- <laughs> predicted his own death. So right, I know by this point, Jordan, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, okay, these are just legend. They're history with a bit of flair, stories to tell, spooky ghost stories, etc. And to that, I say, I didn't even mention a ghost, Jordan. Get a grip. Your reply is obviously going to then be, yeah, but Ian, I know you're great and everything and super sexy, but where are the real stories? The ones from regular old people that I can sink my nuts into. And to that, I answer, right here, Jordan, coming into your ears right about now.
That's exactly what I was thinking. How did you know? Premonition. <laughs> oh, I love something I can sink my nuts into. <laughs> I love a good old nits, nut, nut sinking. Oh, nit sinking. Nit sunking. <laughs> oh, God. Those little things crawling around your nuts. Oh, God. Not again. <laughs> These next ones I have coming up are from regular people that I have absolutely no reason to doubt that they are true. And I am just going to go ahead and say that they are all correct. And if you disagree with me, then fight Jordan. Or Chuck Norris. No, fight Jordan. He's a, a greater adversary than Chuck Norris because Jordan beat up Chuck Norris, if you remember correctly. It's uh, it's just because he's such a lovely guy. We came to such a, a nice Snogging mutual end. conclusion. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm ill. <laughs> Maybe. Okay, so some more down-to-earth ones from everyday people that I found littered around the internet. But the first one reads, My family planned to go to a hotel for the weekend when my dad said we shouldn't go because something bad was going to happen. He had a dream that I died and my ghost was still hanging around there. My mother decided that we were going anyway because apparently she doesn't care about her children because it was just a bad dream. And that weekend, the person writing this got stuck underwater and pretty much drowned. What do you mean pretty much? Like to the point of almost just like losing your fight and then someone got you out. Ah, uh, okay. So they said they weren't breathing and their heart stopped and then they said they woke up on the way to the hospital so the premonition wasn't exactly true as the person didn't actually die enough to leave the ghost wandering around there forever but still something bad did happen so foreshadowing or just coincidence a foreshadowing coincidence i like to call that uh for winkident or a premonition <laughs> yep that's the one <laughs> The second one reads, When I was a baby, my dad travelled to Switzerland often for work. Typically, I never cared when he left, but there was this one time where I threw a huge tantrum. My parents thought it was odd, but ultimately thought nothing of it. Turns out, that week that he was in Switzerland, there was a really bad avalanche and trapped him and the whole village in. He was trapped there for three weeks and they had to helicopter supplies and food to the town. Oh, did they not think to get them out? <laughs> Like, if they can helicopter supplies and they can helicopter them out, surely. Just leave them there. They're happy. <laughs> They're like, we wanted to isolate them. Yeah. Fucking good luck to them. They're pretty mean, yeah. No, I think they were probably making efforts to get them out in the meantime. <laughs> well, it didn't sound like that. It doesn't sound like that because, yeah, if they could get the food down through the snow to them, then why not just take one person out at a time? Do you reckon they were just tempting them, like, putting a single pea on a bit of string and then just bringing it back up and then taking another single carrot? down. They would just do like a battle royale thing like they just lower one bob and biscuit into the middle of them all and watch them all fight over it. <laughs> That camera set up. That would be a reality TV show I'd watch. What would you call it? It's Bob and Battle. <laughs> and the third one reads, and I want to point out for this one, I think this is a case of guardian angels just getting outright bored. I imagine it's a pretty boring job generally. Yeah, well, I mean, like people with a bit of excitement in their life, you know, a bit of extreme living, maybe that, you know, the guardian angels constantly on the toes, you know, watching over them. But uh, this one, I think uh, they're just guarding a person that is boring <laughs> as hell because okay. just listen to it, right? Listen to how terrible this is. The punchline is just mental. Not too long ago, I was driving home from work and pulled into my parking structure. I lived on the third floor and I was there for over two years and had never had this happen before. But for some reason, I parked on the wrong floor and didn't notice. Right. 
but wait, there's a twist. I saw my food delivery when I got to my door, but my key didn't work. Turns out they had delivered my order to the wrong floor and somehow I just knew. Oh, so they also got it wrong. <laughs> yeah, so essentially they went to the wrong floor thinking it was a correct floor, saw their food in front of their door, tried their key and it didn't work. So it's like their guiding angel was just like, yeah, I'm bored as hell. I'll just pull some strings over here to make them go to the wrong floor to collect their food because their food was delivered to the wrong door. I see. But how do you know it was actually their food? Have they not just committed robbery? I dare say it probably had the name on it. Could be the same person's name that lives on the top floor. Well, now you're just getting into the the craziest outreaches of the paranormal aspects of everything, Jordan. You're blowing my mind. Uh, It's too far-fetched now, isn't it, this explanation? You've made me jump through too many hoops, and now all I can imagine is ghost dolphins. Okay, so, on to my last one. Okay. This is the biggie, this is a super creepy one. So, Jordan, have you ever heard of the Aberfan incident? The Aberfan? Aberfan, it's a place. Oh, I was thinking you meant Dancing Queen or something. No. Uh, I've heard of Abba, and I've heard of Aberfans. Okay, right, yeah. But I've not heard of Aberfan. Maybe that's where they got their name. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> the mayor was just like, I really love the band Abba. I'm an Abba fan. That's what I'll call my town. And he, his favourite catchphrase is Mamma Mia. <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> So, in Wales, in early October 1966, a young Welsh girl, aged 10, named Errol Mai, woke up and told her mother, seeming completely out of the blue, Mummy, she said, I'm not afraid to die. Her mother dismissed it, lamenting that she was too young to be talking of such things, and the day went on. Then, on the 20th of October, young Errol had a dream. She went to her mother and told about it, and the dream went like this. I dreamt that I went to school, and there was no school there. Something black had come down over it. Her mother, again, thought nothing of it, because what really could she do other than try and comfort the poor child? And the day went on again. But Errol and her mother lived in Aberfan in Wales. Aberfan was a poor mining town, and above this town, perched on a hill, was a coal tip where the waste from the digging would be deposited. The coal tip caused the townsfolk a lot of worry over the town's safety, and it seems that this worry was very relevant because on the morning of Friday the 21st, at 9am, the coal dump barriers did very sadly give way, sending tons of coal sludge, water and boulders in an avalanche which covered the town, including the school. Uh. The torrent destroyed everything in its path, killing 144 people, most of which were sadly children at the school. Oh, so that's the covered in black. Yeah, yeah. So that's the premonition from the girl. She had a dream that she went to school and she saw it was covered in the black. And then uh, the next day it came to fruition. Oh, dear. I'd definitely be putting that girl up for adoption. <laughs> Don't want her in my house. Or sell her. What? <laughs> that's probably the best option. What? Is that like sell her for money or lock her in a cellar? Oh, no. Sell her for money. I'm not heartless. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> That's Jordan's two cents. If a child freaks you out, sell them. (laughs) (laughs) But only to nice homes. We don't want to be giving them to nasty people. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, you've only grown up with us for 10 years. But uh, yeah, you freak us out, so go away. (laughs) But only to nice people. Exactly. You know, I'll make sure that you do it a nice home, but f*** off. Okay, Dad. <laughs> now I know why you only have a dog. Yeah, not anymore. After the incident, a gentleman named Dr. John Barker, a psychiatrist in a nearby town, was curious to discover if anyone else had had any premonitions and asked Peter Farley, the science 
Associate Editor of London's Evening Standard to run an article asking people to send in accounts of any perceived precognitive visions related to the disaster and was shocked to receive 76 letters in response. Oh. Some were apparently too vague, but some, which were very carefully selected and vetted in various ways as to weed out fakes, were chosen and investigated. Oh, okay. One such one that was taken to be an accurate premonition was from a lady named Carolyn Miller, who had apparently had a vision of the disaster on the evening of October 20th. She said in the letter that in her mind she saw an old schoolhouse nestled in a valley in the Welsh mining town, then an avalanche of coal hurtling down the mountainside, and at the bottom of this mountain was a little boy with a long fringe looking absolutely terrified to death. But she would be. Yeah, definitely, absolutely. You'd be white as a she, wouldn't you? Easy to spot against that black hole. <laughs> I was going to say, you wouldn't be for long. <laughs> then for a while, she saw rescue operations taking place, and she said she had an impression that the little boy was saved. He was so grief-stricken, she said, and she could never forget him. And also, she said that she saw one of the rescue workers wearing an unusual peaked cap. Okay. This was corroborated when investigated because it came to light that this lady had met with some women from her church the night of the 20th and shared her vision with them. She also told her neighbour the next morning at 8.30am, just 45 minutes before the disaster. Obviously, she was stunned to hear about the disaster on the TV, but what's even stranger than that is that while watching the news broadcast, when it was aired three days later, she actually saw the terrified boy and the rescuer from her vision. Oh, okay. So, super creepy. That is weird, yeah. Do you think, beyond that, they always said every day, if anyone's got any premonitions, let us know? Well, actually, funny you should say that. Oh, go on. In the wake of the Aberfan incident, there was something called the British Premonitions Bureau that was set up. Right. So, in short, John Barker, the doctor who we spoke about before, and Peter Farley, who was the newspaper editor, asked readers to send dreams of premonitions into the newspaper weekly to see if they could perhaps prove the phenomena or even prevent future disasters. Okay. Each letter would be documented, dated and awarded points based on a system created by Farley which was five points for unusualness five points for accuracy and one point for timing. Okay. How do they measure the timing? Uh, I guess if somebody says, oh I've had a premonition that a bird's gonna eat my dinner tomorrow at 4pm and then it happens at 4pm then that's how you... Oh, I see. I assumed you meant when it was submitted. Oh, I see. So no. <laughs> Thought surely it has to happen before. <laughs> Wouldn't really be able to prevent it if they could award that point, I guess. What do you reckon would happen if there was a premonition of a huge disaster? Do you think they would have actually taken notice and done something about that, though? Uh, I think in a lot of situations, things like this have happened. Ones I've heard before, like, I think some guy said he had a premonition of the 9-11 attacks. Right. But he couldn't really do anything about it because, you know, even if he didn't know it was going to happen, it was only through his dreams, but then it did happen. Then all of a sudden you'd have the entirety of the American government staring at you going, how did you know that? Yeah, I suppose. What did you have to do with that? Why did that happen when you said it was going to happen? So, I mean, if you go and you say something to someone, then people are going to think you're crazy. So it's a lose-lose situation, really. Lose-lose for everybody involved. Just like you and me after a good night. Oh, no, sorry, that's (laughs) loose-loose. Okay. So the two main fortune tellers of this bureau who frequently wrote in or called was one, a gentleman named Alan Hensher, and two, a lady named Kathleen Middleton. Hensher was a 44-year-old telephone operator for the post office and Middleton was a 52-year-old piano and ballet teacher. Both apparently foresaw the Aberfan disaster. Middleton said that she awoke during the night before the event, choking and gasping with a sense of the walls caving in. So in the spring of 1987, Hensher called Barker to tell him about a plane crash over mountains in the Mediterranean that would kill 123 or 124 people. 30 days later, a Britannia passenger aircraft crashed into a hill in Cyprus, killing 124 people. Ooh. 
In November 1967, both Henshaw and Middleton predicted a railway crash on the line heading into London just days before it occurred. Onwards and into 1968, Middleton foresaw a shipwreck in France, floods in Alaska, the death of an astronaut, and even the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy. In early 1968, both Henshaw and Middleton began fearing for Barker's life after some premonitions they had had. Barker said, It would be wrong for me to say that I was not frightened by a prediction of this nature. I suppose anybody who plays about with precognition in this way, to some extent, sticks his neck out and must accept what he gets. And unfortunately, on August 18th, 1968, Barker suffered a brain hemorrhage at home and passed away in hospital at the age of just 44. Oh, uh, did he not go to hospital? Well, if it's a brain hemorrhage, it just comes on quite quickly, doesn't it? So you can't get it treated in advance or anything like that. It just, just unfortunately happened. But yeah, it was uh, predicted by the two people he had brought into the team to tell the future. Poor guy. 44 as well. I know, yeah, 44, but sh- it. I'm only nine years away from that. <laughs> Hopefully not a brain hemorrhage. Oh, about five <laughs> seconds from that, mate. <laughs> So just quickly to wrap up, Barker and Fairley wanted to present their findings to the Parliament and British Medical Research Councillor, believing the power could be harnessed and utilised. But unfortunately, it never happened. And with Barker's death, sadly, so came to the end of the Premonitions Bureau. Right. So good one, doctors and government. That's it. Yeah, so that brings me to the end of Premonitions. And um, I found that super interesting to do some research into. I'm glad one of us did. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Thought you heard you snoring. <laughs> it's just my normal breathing at this point. <laughs> yeah, very interesting indeed. So the creepiest last words before death. <laughs> Let's jump into that then. <laughs> Some people like to die. <laughs> Others, not so much. Which is why today I'm going to be going through some of the strangest and creepiest last words of folk who are about to kick the bucket. Some people believe that as we approach our final breath before passing on to the next plane of existence, the veil that separates our worlds can become thin. So it might mean that people are able to glimpse into the other world that waits for them beyond death. But some of these examples might make you think twice about your life choices. Some of them are creepy. At least one is downright horrifying. The first one, really simple. Someone's grandfather on the deathbed said, They have no eyes. That is downright creepy. Yeah, they said it still gives them chills. Yeah, what does that mean? Yeah, God knows. Well, I guess it means they have no eyes, but... (laughs) Very astute, Jordan. (laughs) They can't see. I'd love to know what they're talking about. Yeah, like, what can they see, this person? Yeah, very, very creepy. Uh, Another one says, I had an old lady flag me down in the hallway a few days before she died with a thin, frail face and bulging eyes. She said, You know where I'm going. I asked her what she meant, and she repeated herself. You know where I'm going when I die, and it ain't up. I was taken aback and asked her if she wanted to talk about it with the priest that we have on staff. She shook her head and said, It's too late for that. It's awfully pessimistic, isn't it? A little bit. (laughs) You say that, but a few days later, while she was eating her supper, she started screaming. She yelled, Fire! Fire! There's fire everywhere! God. She died very suddenly just a few hours later. Was she eating chilies? (laughs) Yeah, maybe it was a really spicy soup. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's what killed her off. (laughs) (laughs) I can't breathe. And when she said she's going down, she was actually saying like, I'm going down. Like, because chilies. Capsaicin? Captain America? Bird's eye? Okay, yep. Here's another one. ER physician here had heard many last words from patients, but the creepiest one has to be of a man who was on his last breaths as he succumbed to kidney failure. He said... I see a bright light. Horses. No, no eyes. No, no, no! At this point, his vitals were crashing when suddenly he woke up, looked up, and from his last breath, he muttered, I understand. 
and died. Okay, so I guess that gives us a bit more insight and information from the first one yeah. who said they have no eyes. Maybe he was talking about the horses. But what does he mean by horses? What I think they probably meant is they were looking at a horse like straight on in profile and because the horse's eyes were on the side of the head, they couldn't see them. Ah, okay. It's just a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> they have no eyes. Yeah, they do. They're on the side. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to inject you with this stuff. What is it? Oh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about that. Go to sleep. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. We're taking this as fact that these are, of course, true, aren't we? They could be made up, but no one's going to know. Very true. But I'm going on the assumption that these are truthful events. Yeah, but I mean, like the first and the third one, that's um, double verified. You know, two people have said the same thing, so gives a bit more credence, maybe. Yeah. Unless they're written by the same person. <laughs> maybe. You would think, though, wouldn't you, the first and the third one, the second time that he died, or she died, that they'd have f***ing learnt about a horse. Maybe that's what he's on about at the end, where he's like, oh, yeah, I understand. <laughs> yeah, the, the eyes are on the side, you jeb. He's like, oh, yeah. The anatomy of a horse, you bend. <laughs> I would be gutted if throughout my entire life I've been interested in the paranormal and excited to see what's on the other side, and I get there, and it's just a eternal lesson of horse anatomy. <laughs> it's all that paranormal is. I guess maybe, like, you might get to move on once you get like 100% on the test and you go on to the next level <laughs> and then what do you do the anatomy of a pigeon <laughs> yeah so another one a nice old lady told my nursing assistant that she wanted to wear all white when asked why she said the man in black is here as she looked towards the corner of the room the assistant looked but there was no one there that's when I came into the room we asked her to describe what she was seeing, and she said, He's all in black, and he's got a top hat on. Then she whispered, And his eyes are red. Ugh. Yeah. While her eyes moved across the room to directly behind my assistant, just like she was watching him move closer to us. She died later that night, but it was totally unexpected. That room creeped me out for a long time after that. Yeah, red eyes is a, a surefire sign of demonic presence, as it says here in my demon handbook. <laughs> More commonly known as my scribbles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you think this man in black is referring to the actual men in black? I'm not 100% sure. When you first said it, like, I was thinking, like, is that, like, the government or alien official that comes to tell you to yeah. knock it off kind of thing? But I don't think I've ever heard them to have red eyes. Although they do wear sunglasses, don't they? Uh, yeah, I do. They do. Yep. Sorry, I'm not I'm not a man in black. <laughs> oh, it all comes out now. <laughs> <laughs> you got me. <laughs> so maybe they do have red eyes, we just never see them. Possibly, possibly. Just, I don't know what they'd be doing in an old woman's room. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's not many more reports of men in black around dying people, so maybe it's more akin to like a funeral procession kind of, you know, everyone wears black and she's going to die, so maybe... Oh, I see. Whoever was coming through was just wearing black for the sake of it. Or maybe it was actually the men in black and it was just a really quiet day. Maybe she's an alien, she had dementia, and the men in black was there to take her back home because she'd found a way into a nursing home. <laughs> when you say it's a quiet day, do you think the men in black are just moonlighting as other jobs? Maybe. So, like, you know, one works in an ice cream parlour, one works at the local swimming pool, this one collects old souls. Another one picking up all the litter in the park. Yeah. Nice guy, actually. Yes, I think he's called... Charlie. Sally! <laughs> Charlie. <laughs> I thought you said Sally. You never know. If you see men in black in the park picking up litter called Charlie, let us know. Or Sally. Yeah, give him a hug. Tell him he's doing a good job. Yeah. Ask him about the secrets. Ask him where the bodies are being kept. And ask them where they get the Ray-Bans from. Yeah, yeah. Ask him if his eyes are red. 
Anyway, moving on. Here's another one. I was a hospice worker for many years. Super gratifying job for a nurse, surprisingly. Most peaceful. Lots of sad times. Often a blessing. But this is sad and also creepy. And I wouldn't believe it if I hadn't seen it. Had a 20-year-old kid gang member who was dying of primary liver cancer. Super unusual, aggressive and terminal. He was angry at the universe. His family was there to comfort him, but he literally spat in their faces. Wow. Yeah. Every ounce of energy he had left was angry and mean and ugly. His mum would beg him to lighten up and accept Jesus into his heart. He would swing at her and tell her to f*** herself. The family remained bedside in hopes that he would chill out towards the end. In his last days, hours, moments, he was angry. The family called me into the room and told me that they thought he was going. He wasn't responding, shallow breaths, eyes glossy and cold skin. The end was imminent. His lovely mother, in her dearest attempt, whispered to him to go towards the light, to her Jesus. With his dying breath, he opened his eyes, looked at her and said, F*** your Jesus! (laughs) No, I'm not. (laughs) I live a life of celibacy. And a second or two later, he slowly turned his head to the left and got the most horrific look on his face, as if he was looking at something we couldn't see. And horrified, like in a bad movie, his face contorted and he screamed with his last breath, eyes wide open, Oh shit! Oh shit! Oh no! and then made a guttural noise and promptly fell back into the bed and died. Right. Every family member was shaking and too frightened to speak, and I left the room and took two days off. I don't care if I never found out what he saw. That's weird. Yeah, well, I mean, hopefully no one ever finds out. It sounds horrible. Yeah. I mean, no one knows what he could have seen. My guess is the afterlife. The bad one. Yeah, do you think? Yeah, the one where the baddies go, you know. Saying things like, go f*** yourself to your mum and f*** your Jesus. (laughs) Probably ain't going to get you a first class ticket into paradise. That is true. (laughs) (laughs) Even in those last moments, just his like, f*** the world f*** this yeah it's not as if he was surrounded by his super cool gang member friends then he could have just been like yeah i'll chill out for five you know yeah have a little bit of a giggle you know have a, have a laugh maybe have a sandwich share some funny memories from my childhood with my family but no instead he decided to say naughty things <laughs> and that got him the elevator downward yep yep ticket to the basement ticket to the basement that sounds like a song title <laughs> it does doesn't it <laughs> that, i mean obviously a really sad instance because that's super weird because you would not think someone who in that moment is obviously hating life, is mad at the world, Mm -hmm. they wouldn't be taking the piss, would they, in those last moments? You would think they would still retain that little bit of anger towards the end, like sounding like he was. Yeah. So it seems like that would be really out of character to be going like, oh, shit and oh no just seems like that is more plausible yeah yeah so like he's not like trying to make it up or anything or like trying to be funny on his way out exactly oh you'd think not what I think was happening was he was getting a hand job under the blanket as he was dying and he was just about to come <laughs> it's like oh shit oh shit <laughs> and the horrified look was that he realised it was his mum <laughs> Yeah, uh, so... Oh, I composed myself. <laughs> okay. 
That's the sound he made, actually. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on. When my grandmother was dying, someone had to be with her all day. And one night, my cousin volunteered to sit with her and was basically just talking to a half-lucid woman. The house she lives in was creepy. The lights from the family room didn't reach the stairs or the hallway, so the light you saw was all that there was. Around 1am, my grandmother starts making faces at the stairs. And when my cousin asks what's wrong, Grandma responds, I just wish that man on the stairs would quit staring at us. Later on into the night, my cousin mentions how the family is arriving the next day, and Grandma says, Well, it doesn't matter. Tomorrow I'll be dead, and so So will you. (laughs) That's nice. Maybe she was talking to the man on the stairs? I don't know. I mean, that's when the cousin had asked the Grandma what's wrong. She's like, well, it doesn't matter, because tomorrow I'll be dead, and so will you. Right. That's weird. Very strange. I mean, clearly the person didn't die, though, because they're writing this. Well, you never know. I mean, this is talking about the cousin, so maybe. Fair enough. Creepy. Very weird. And the last one. My dad was dying at home, and he'd have been pretty out of it for a few days. We should probably take him to hospital or something, then. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, well done, family. Yeah, mom, dad's dying. Okay. <laughs> just there writing the blog post. Yeah. <laughs> I just need to update Tumblr. F*** off, dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give it two minutes, pops. <laughs> so he was pretty out of it for a few days. The few times he was conscious, he would talk about all the people in his room and that they were climbing the walls, staring at him from under the bed. Generally crazy shit. Yeah. The last thing he said before the end was to my sister. Are you going to bury me today? And he died the next day. How bizarre. The thing that got me was the whole climbing the walls. It reminded me of what your wife saw. Yeah, do you know what? Actually, didn't even think of this, but where I am recording, I am sat directly underneath that point. Oh, are you? Yeah. So if you look up now, what do you see? My will to live floating away from my body. (laughs) Mr. Chili Heat Wave. (laughs) (laughs) Dorito head. I'd actually never thought of that before until you brought that up. So thank you very much for that. I still really, I mean, I'll pay to put some cameras in your house. Just don't tell your wife. I'd love to see all the, I should say, paranormal stuff <laughs> yeah, that goes on. I was just going to say, like, when she comes to bed on her own and gets changed, you don't know about these cameras. <laughs> You're like, oh, I've detected some movement. I wonder if there's anything paranormal happening. <laughs> oh, Ian, what are you doing? I didn't know you could stretch that far. <laughs> just you and me sat down, like, in our respective houses on our phone. <laughs> But yeah, I'd actually love to have video footage to help back up any of these EVPs or noises that you hear. Yeah, yeah. It'd be amazing. I would love to have a camera set up specifically pointed at my bathroom door because that's where I seem to notice everything. My son's room, actually. The other day I saw a super fast, real quick little orb just fly straight across my son's bedroom monitor. Okay. There's no bugs in there or anything like that. And it was just like real quick, like zoom, Mm. just across the screen. Just like a real close up big ball of light. Oh, that's weird. That was super creepy. And I was just like, what the hell was that? Does that baby monitor record? It does not. Ah. That's a shame. I mean, you can borrow it if you want. Oh, yeah, it'd be perfect for me. <laughs> Put it in the house with no... <laughs> no children. <laughs> with no instances. <laughs> no paranormal happenings, no children, and a dog. That's when you go to work one day, you look at your recording, and you see your dog just, like, playing poker or something, or like, <laughs> getting out an easel and a canvas and doing, like, a masterful work of art. That would be amazing. <laughs> I would sell him. <laughs> what is with you and selling stuff? <laughs> selling your prized pets and possessions and... <laughs> family members well do what you got in these hard times 
I think that probably brings things to a nice end, doesn't it? I think it very much does. Yeah, absolutely. However, there is one thing I want to mention. If anyone happens to remember from way back when, when we introduced ourselves at the beginning of this podcast, mm. I'm part of an acoustic duo slash trio. <laughs> trio. <laughs> Musical act. Ensemble. Absolutely. That sounds better. And you're the music teacher. <laughs> On the weekdays. <laughs> And we're called Walking On Air. And it's Sophie who did the duck song <laughs> from before. The duck song, yeah. Which is amazing. It's a fantastical lyric. I absolutely love it. And myself, who's playing guitar. And then Ian, occasionally, who will do drums. That's me. That is him. And we've just released this week a single called Breathing, which is on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music, you know, you name it. And I just wanted to give a kind of shameless plug for that, really. Yeah, super good. And it's fantastic to see you two actually finally getting something recorded and released because you've been hoarding songs. You're absolutely right. <laughs> For the last six months, you've just been sending me songs. I'm like, can you put some drums on this? I'm like, yeah, yeah, what are you going to do with it? Oh, you know, just put it in a file on my computer. <laughs> so, so it's nice that you're getting some stuff released and getting out there into the world. That's it, yeah. I am proud to be a part of it. Absolutely, yeah. I should say Ian drummed on this track as well. Sophie sang, of course, and I did everything else, basically. Everything else, yeah. The rest of the musical composition done by your man, Jordan. The magic fingered creeper behind the <laughs> microphone. Yeah, you're a very good composer and writer and everything sounds beautiful. You'd think it's an entire band on there, but no, it's just one big-brained creeper. <laughs> very kind i should clarify <laughs> that sophie did the writing on it i just hopefully made it sound a little prettier okay i'll take all of that back then <laughs> <laughs> i'm kidding i'm kidding that's very good thank you so if anyone wants to have a little listen it is walking on air breathing and i hope you enjoy well we'll link it in the description yeah that'd be great smashing do you want to play us out with a bit of it today we can do uh, we'll do the full thing but maybe a verse and a chorus or something just to wet the appetite say a 45 minute long song so i mean the intro is 45 minutes oh i'd never got past there there's like a little gap and i thought fucking finally <laughs> <laughs> just turned it off <laughs> Fantastical. Brilliant. So thank you very much to everybody who listened to today's episode of Two Guys What's Up. As you all know, if you'd like to get in touch, if you have an idea you'd like us to research or have something read out in a future episode, or even if you just want to say a good old howdy doodly do, you can find all the links to our socials and where you can reach us at twoguyswhatsup.com, which will be linked in the description of this episode, as well as the song Breathing by Walking On Air. So don't forget to check that out, please. And don't forget to follow the show wherever you listen to us so you don't miss another episode and maybe even tell a friend if you're enjoying the episode then take this episode and wrap it up into a delicious little ball and feed it to all of your friends and pets before you sell them before you sell them on <laughs> if you're enjoying the show and you're feeling kind a five star rating and review in the apple podcast app would go a long way to help us out and we would be eternally grateful but on that note thank you very much for listening you all have an amazing week we will see you next monday and enjoy the track Bye! Take it out from under the microscope Take a deep breath and blow And just like that, the grain of sand Drive yourself mad with the ebbs and whys Trying to figure out if it's true
Can I just pause you there? Excuse me while I blow myself. Ah. Ah. I've just done my back in.